very good morning to everybody. I'm so glad that Pastor Arnold uh, introduced me. I was away for two weeks, as you recall. And very interestingly, last week, during the weekday, somebody uh, texted me. I said, Pastor Bobby, I'm so sad that you have left JBC. <laughs> you know? So I said, oh. I, I texted the person, hey, thank you so much you know, for thinking about me, praying for me. I said, yeah, I'm still here. And I said, this Sunday, I'll be here as well. And so, uh, well, praise be unto God that uh, we all can come together to worship God. Now, a pastor went up to the pulpit one Sunday morning. And as he stepped into the pulpit, his mind suddenly went blank. Totally blank. And he started perspiring. His heart began to race. The pulpit he is standing, as far as he's concerned, appears to be like a treadmill. His heart was pumping. And all sorts of thoughts went through his mind. How do I start? What should I do? Help me, God, he muttered under his breath. And just like me, I'm staring at all of you. Sure enough, God answered his prayer. God brought to his mind the words of his senior pastor. When your mind went blank, two things. Number one, repeat a phrase until people understand. Number two, pray. So the pastor gripped the sides of the pulpit and he proclaimed, Jesus is coming. No response. Jesus is coming. He raised his voice even louder. No response. Finally, he leaned forward and he shouted, Jesus is coming. At this point, there is a response. The pulpit fell forward. So man and pulpit both fell forward. What happened was in the front row, there is a lady, a very elderly lady, very dignified lady was sitting there. And man and pulpit fell forward. And he got up and he said, Ma'am, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. Now, will you please forgive me? The other lady looked at him in his eye, a little bit flustered. Everybody was a bit uh, panicked. And she said, it's okay, young man. You have warned me three times. You have warned me three times. No response like this. Second option, pray. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, that we can study your word. It's a heavy topic this morning. It's about suffering. But Lord, your word always lifts us up. We are reminded again in Hebrews, that your word is living, your word is active, sharper, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of our soul and our spirit, of our joints and our marrow, discerning our thoughts and our intentions of our heart. And so we pray, Father, this morning as we come before the throne of grace, we ask, Father, that allow me, Lord, not just to rehash what you have already spoken to me. Allow me not to just tell the gospel, but allow all of us together to listen again to your word this morning. We ask all this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Now, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Hebrews, uh, to James chapter 5. We are coming from verse 7. Now, let me just briefly introduce to you. Now, in the first six verses of James chapter 5, James rebuked the rich people at the time. Not because they were rich, I think there's nothing wrong against riches, but because those rich people were wicked. Why? They abuse the poor. And Pastor Oliver spoke about this in last Sunday's sermon. Now, when we come to verses 7 to 11 of chapter 5, James shifts his focus from the persecutors, the people who abuse and bully the poor, to those who are persecuted. James moved from condemning those who are faithless, 
the abusive and the rich people to one of comforting the faithful, the abused, poor, the downtrodden and marginalized. So the theme in today's sermon is how we can be patient, how we can endure life's trials and tribulations. When life turns painful, unbearable, when you draw the short end of a stick, your whole world collapses under you. This is the introduction. Now, the importance, what is the importance? Our Christian life is a long journey and that growth in the Christian life is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a single point of struggle and lead us to a life of unchallenged bliss and thereafter, it is unchallenged in growth. No. In order to benefit from the process of growth and to prosper and to be able to rejoice in times of trouble, we have to have the proper focal point for our lives. And today I'll share with you, if you have a worship bulletin, three main sections. The first one, anticipate Jesus' return. Verse 7 to 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Now, Jesus is talking about a bigger picture. He's talking about living a life that is looking forward to one event. Graduation, wedding, promotion, retirement. No, the day that the Christian is looking forward to is the day of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And James is saying that we need to live, we need to live life, live our lives in the light of that focal point, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is the coming for which we are all waiting. And so all life is to be lived in the light of that event, Jesus Christ coming. Can you imagine the whole earth? The whole earth will erupt in worship. Philippians 2, verse 9 to 10. Every knee, every knee, whether you have a knee replacement or not, every knee shall bow. Heaven, earth, under the earth. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you have to bow. And every tongue confess. Can you imagine that? We have been telling people that Jesus is Lord. They do not believe. They throw stones at you figuratively. But at the time, every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. And this bit, Jesus returned. Now, Jesus is coming three times, right? It's mentioned three times in this text as well. But the coming of Christ is mentioned some 300 times in the New Testament. 300 times. Not three times in today's text, but 300 times. There is a mention of the coming of Christ one time for every 13 verses from Matthew to Revelation. Now, think about this. God has a point in that. I think so. One time for every 13 verses from Matthew all the way to Revelation. God has a point. I'm sure God has a point. And James is drawing out this point for us. He's saying that that is the goal, the second coming of Christ. That is the goal for which we are aiming. That will be our focal point. And so James is saying that we need to cultivate a mindset for the long haul. And we need to patiently wait for the great events, the coming of Christ. Jesus is coming again. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Now, adopt a farmer's attitude of patience and trust. In Palestine, the early rains, you mentioned about early rains. Early rains are 
the rain that takes place October and November, and late rains will be March and April. Now, early rains are those rains that um, soften the ground so that you can plant. And the later rains, March and April, the harvest time. But the, and, and the farmer from this duration, he's totally dependent upon the yield that he will get from the Lord. And God will be the one providing the rains. Now, all he could do as a farmer was to wait for the Lord after he has done his part. And so similarly, we should wait upon the Lord. God's timing is perfect. He will show us the way forward. Anticipate Jesus' return. The Bible tells us in verse 8, establish your hearts. Some versions use strengthen your hearts. It comes from this word, sterizo, and where we get the word steroid. James tells us to fix our hearts, strengthen our hearts, establish our hearts. He's pointing to a determination, a resolution, a perseverance, persistence in striving for the goal, going for it, not giving up. A stickability, you stick onto it, you hang on to it. Now, interestingly, this is the same verb that is found in Luke 9, which describes Jesus' preparation. For what? Jesus' preparation for his coming crucifixion and death on the cross. Now, that's the same word James is using us using here to tell us, set your heart, establish your heart, strengthen your heart, fix your heart resolutely. You are to fix your eye on the goal of the coming of Christ. Just like Jesus fixed his eyes on his work on the cross and death and burial and of course resurrection in Jerusalem. What is the implication? What is the implication for the first section? Now James' point is that our whole life has to be lived in the light of the Lord's coming live in the light of Jesus coming and in patient, in our patient way, we resolve in preparation for that big day. Good times, bad times. But our whole life is to believe, to live out in the light of Christ coming and we are to be patient. Anticipate Jesus coming. But there's more. The second section we talk about the idea that, hey, if Christ is coming, we as believers, do we believe in this judgment or not? Verses 9 to 10. Verse 9 to 10. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Grum- do not grumble. Now, grumble is mentioned uh, with the idea that, hey, when you start complaining, it doesn't glorify God. Now, four times in this section, verse 7, 8, 9, and 10, the word patience is used. Four times. Now, I just want to, to, to deviate a little bit now. Um, James is using this uh, phrase patience with understanding that, hey, this patience is patient towards a person who is antagonistic towards you. Right? So the idea is that, hey, in, in this be patient, the idea is that, hey, we use the original idea of someone who is antagonistic towards you, the original language in Marco Tomeo, 
is different from another word in verse 10. A word we are more familiar with, hopomone, means that patient towards circumstances. Now, be very clear about this, patient towards people, patient towards circumstances. But in these four verses, we are talking about patient towards people who are antagonistic. Alright? And so when you are, when people are antagonistic to you, towards you, what do you do? You praise the person. You know, right? You complain, you grumble. Not only complain against a person, you probably complain to others. When others do not understand, why don't you understand what I'm going through? Why don't you care? So people who are bystanders for nothing, for no reason, they become recipients of your grumbling. James says, do not grumble, because why? It doesn't glorify God. Right now, at first part we say, and this big Christ coming, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. But the next thing we say, hey, no, this is not right. Right? So when, they grumble, when you grumble, it doesn't glorify God. Not only that, it causes damage to the fellowship. Remember, James is talking to brethren. That means they're talking to believers, talking to Christians. So when you grumble, when you complain, you create damage, division to the church. Now, how are you reflecting Christ when you behave this way? God knows what you are facing. And when Christ appears, everything will be set right to all of us. Keep a good witness for our, for our Master. Keep a good testimony. So, do we believe in Jesus' judgment? First thing, if you believe in Jesus' judgment, do not grumble. Now, it talks about this Jesus. Jesus, he will be our judge. He is the judge right outside the door, interestingly. Standing at the door. Now, imagine you're complaining something. Hey, by the way, huh? And then suddenly Jesus walked in. It happens to some of us, right? Or many of us, when we were talking about somebody, suddenly your boss comes behind you. And, oh, ah, you know, you have to really do a lot of damage control, buy lunch, so on and so forth, right? But so imagine, when you're saying about, oh, this person, oh, the person, and Jesus Christ come behind you. Right? So be very careful. James is saying, hey, don't do that, because the Lord actually is in our midst. Oh, come on, Jesus Christ is not standing outside the door of this sanctuary. He's in our midst, right? He's in our home. He's in our office. He's in our school. Right? And he says that the judge, Christ will be the judge. Do you believe in Jesus' judgment? Jesus' judgment will be fair. It will be glorious. He will be our judge. When you are undergoing intense pain and suffering, will you not believe that, as Abraham says, will not the judge of the earth do right? Now, the, the, the third thing I want you to explain a little bit is will, will be the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I think we know what is the term prophets, right? Old Testament has a lot. I guess New Testament also has, and probably in today's context, there, perhaps there may be some prophets somewhere, right? They think they are prophets. But what I want to draw attention to is that prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We can be prophets. All of us can be prophets, but what, what kind of prophet are you? Prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord means what? The name of the Lord means what God wills, what God does, who God is, the name of the Lord. Consider the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Are we, are we speaking in the name of the Lord when intense pain occurs in our life, occurs in the life of our friends, our family? We are not just messenger of the good news. We are the message. If our lifestyle do not square with the message we carry, Christ is coming again. We believe in the, the righteous judge. But our body, our life, 
doesn't square with the message. It cannot be. Now, what is the implication here? Now, James is saying that suffering is a norm for the Christian life. We always suffer. Some of us suffer more. Some of us suffer less. I stand before you, you see my girth or my waist, you probably think I suffer less. Most Singaporeans suffer less. But come on, guys. This suffering is not just a physical suffering. I do not believe that Grace Baptist Church, we are so immune and excused from Satan's fiery darts. Other suffering like mental? Other suffering like stress? James is saying that suffering is a norm for the Christian life. And we know for sure Christ says, we will suffer. Right? And this is a norm. But therefore, we ought to expect these kinds of trials. And these kind of trials demand patience, demands endurance. Whether four times towards a person, antagonistic towards you, or one time towards circumstances, towards circumstance or situation. We expect this kind of suffering to come your way. But set your heart. Be patient. Summon the endurance. When we are suffering, sometimes you've got no answer. James chapter 5 give us some idea that we anticipate Christ's coming. Believe that Christ will be the righteous judge. But there's more. The last verse. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. The third point is that, hey, we cherish or claim God's blessing. When we anticipate Christ's coming, we believe His righteous judgment. And when He arrives, hey, we claim, we cherish God's blessings. There is blessing and happiness in the exercise of patience and endurance. This is what the Bible says. James says, we count those blessed who endure. So God blesses those who patiently endure. We look at Daniel in the lion's den, and we say, hey, Lord, I wish I could be like that. Why? Because we know the story. He was not eaten, right? So we look at brothers and sisters in this church undergoing trials that we can't even imagine or even try to understand. Only God knows. Only you know. I can't even imagine 1% of what you are going through in your life, although we will try, of course. But the idea is that, hey, Claim or cherish God's blessing when Christ arrives. There's blessing in enduring trial. Why? Because we see the character that it produces, James chapter 1. We long to have the character that is produced, the blessing which results from trials and endurance. So those who endure, my friends, whatever you're going through, you're enduring, trying your best, establishing your heart, waiting for Christ's return, there's blessings. Now, the, the verse 11 also talks about uh, Job. Now, we have heard of the endurance of, of Job. Now, Job faces unexplained, unimaginable suffering, attack of Satan, loss of his children, health, wealth, reputation. And worst of all, Job lost a sense of God's character, who God is. Where are you, God? Here I am doing the best that I can 
and yet you are not around? So, why Job? Perhaps the first reason was because he suffered terribly. Second reason, perhaps, that he was vindicated. Vindicated. Even though believers have encountered deep suffering, the final outcome is a happy outcome. If we recall Job, actually, he lost everything, but he got back everything. He lost his uh, children, of course, and he got back three daughters who were very beautiful. Perhaps the first set of daughters was not that beautiful, but the second set was exceptional, right? Okay, then we say, hey, but we are not Job. Right? So you stand there with your girth, and then you say, hey, these are things that we can do, but we are not Job, right? What if the outcome is not a happy one? Happy one is okay. A happy outcome, let's celebrate. But what happens if the outcome is not a happy one? What shall we say? Cherish God's blessings? You recall Stephen? Acts chapter 7. The people were throwing stones at him. Stones. Not plastic ball. We play in our school days. Plastic ball. Hantambola. They throw stones at him. And what it, what it says in, in Acts 7, he said, but Stephen being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed up into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Christ seated on the right hand of God. Luke actually recorded in such a way that it says that Stephen looked saw the heavens open and Christ sitting sitting on the right hand of God. What happened if the outcome is not a happy one? Like Stephen, he saw the glory of God. So Christ sitting on the right hand of God. When it's not a happy one, the heavenly welcome and reward. Is simply indescribable. I hope none of you will describe this to me because you're probably going up. The heavenly reward and welcome is simply indescribable. The heavens open, God welcoming you, and Christ sits on the right hand of God. Stephen saw the glory of God and saw Jesus standing right beside God. We claim God's blessing when Christ comes again. You'll be blessed. The idea of Job. If Job doesn't speak to your life experience right now, the idea of Stephen, now God, experience God, the way God dealt with Job reveals God's character. He revealed himself in an extraordinary way. Notice that the, the outcome of this endurance is not simply character building. Right? It's not simply character building, so Job was even better, more holy than before. Perhaps, yes, but it is the sight of the living God in His mercy and compassion. Job began to see God better. You see, Job just didn't, get, just didn't come through this experience with more character, with refined character. But Job came through this experience with more experience of the living God, encountering the living God. He knew God in a way at the end of that experience that he did not know Him at the beginning. So when we undergo suffering, we undergo intense pain. Encounter, we encounter God. We have a better understanding of who God is. It doesn't make us more holy than before. 
coming. Make us understand who God is. Now, implication. James is saying, look at the prophets, look at Job, and you learn about their trials. And so instead of criticizing the brothers and sisters in Christ and complaining, remember and realize that even in trials, God intends for blessings for His people. Tangible, as well as intangible blessings. No matter what life throws at the follower of Christ, we are all followers of Christ. No matter what life throws at us, death, disease, destruction, God is sovereign. God is overall in charge. God is in control, not man, not Satan. So a believer can remain resilient, steadfast, persevere, and endure intense pain and suffering. This really is the heart of the gospel. This really is the heart of the gospel. And it's the primary duty of every one of us believers is to live a resurrected, victorious life. The life in John 10, 10, the abundant life. Now, does that mean we should live as though we have no problems? No, obviously not, isn't it? It will not be genuine. But God will walk us through our deepest pain and suffering. The best way to be a witness for Jesus is not to argue with unbelievers about Jesus' Lordship. Although words are often very useful, we need to share. But one of the best ways is to live above the corruption and death of this world. Let others see eternity in your perspective, in our perspective of events. Let others see the confidence in the midst of our trials, our pain, our suffering. Let others see the Lord over our life. Let others see Jesus. Believers can withstand intense suffering and pain and anticipate Jesus' return, believe in Christ's judgment, and cherish or claim God's blessing when He returns. I stand amazed, the song we sang. The phrase goes like, He had no tears for His own grief, but sweat drops of blood for mine. God has, Christ has no tears for his own grief, but sweat drops of blood for ours, for yours and mine. Application, make your life count. Make your life count for the Lord. If you are suffering, ask God to let you be a witness, a testimony of who God is and how God is faithful in the midst of the suffering. If you are not suffering now, but you know of someone who is suffering, go up to them, walk with them, encourage them. Walk with them. I begin a story about the pastor who was tongue-tied. Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. Three times, like this text is. That was a joke, I hope you understand. I don't know, many people laugh. But let me tell you a true story now. A missionary couple were working as tent makers and they, they went to a country in the Middle East. And so husband and wife, on their way to, to work, they had to pass by a petrol station or a gas station. And in the, at, the, at the boot of the car, had the Bibles in the vernacular language, or the local language. It's a Middle East country. And then as the husband drive into the petrol station, just standing in front of the door, there is a man who dressed like a Taliban, turban, white dress, full of beard, 
And if it's not, not enough, you carry an AK-47. Alright, 7.62 round. In high pop position, this is high pop position for those who do not serve the army. Right? He's standing to attention. Okay? He's not slouched like me because he carries the round on his two shoulders in a fashion of an axe. The bullets here and here. So the, the missionary uh, husband he drove in was very frightened. Right? So, but his wife said, oh, we, we got to do it then. He parked his car, pumped the petrol. After that, he went to pay the money. But he told his wife, please pray for me. Right? So he went in, God, you know, as he walked through beside this man, please pray for me. And God, I got four children at home, you know. I'm serving you. I know you say that life is suffering, but God, please walk with me on this one, isn't it? So he went in. He looked. The man just stand. His eyes was just gazing. And then he paid and he came out. He went to his car. His wife was praying. Then he unlocked the door. Then his wife opened her eyes. Then he said, wow, I'm so thankful that you have been praying for me. Surely you don't want to lose your husband, yeah? He said, yeah. And then, then he stopped the engine. The wife said, wait, wait, honey. Uh, God tells me as I was praying to give a Bible to this man. So this missionary said, you've got to be joking. Start the engine, he drove off. Then, less than five minutes, the, the wife said, honey, please stop the car. I said, oh, now what? I need to pray. So she prayed. She said, God, please forgive me. I have done my best to convince my husband, but he is not that interested. He is very frightened of his life. And so please, Lord, hold him accountable. So the missionary looked at his wife and said, honey, are you sure you really want me to go back there and give the Bible? This is... This country, you know. But I guess probably it's a, as in all Caucasian uh, uh, couples, the husband and the wife are very, uh, you know, easy to discuss. In the, if it's an Asian context, we say no. Head of the household. So the husband turned the car around. Go back to the petrol. Now this time, the, the Taliban guy, he's very alert. He was looking at the car now. Second time around, the car goes in. The husband said, honey, you sure? If really, if you don't mind losing your husband, I don't mind as well. You open up, give the Bible. You carry, you open the book, carry the Bible to the Taliban. And the guy, using his vernacular language, he said that, hey, uh, I've been waiting for you. So the missionaries asked, what? He said, three days ago, God spoke to me in a dream. He said that Jesus wants come to my life. And so I've been waiting at this spot for three days. Today, I finally realized that Jesus has come to my life because He has brought you into my life. What's my point? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. We suffer. We enjoy. We endure. But behind all this, do not put our own suffering above the situation but to remember that Christ is coming. Many of us, many of the people in this world have not heard of Christ. That was a true story. The country is Iran. The song that we sing, we will glory in our Redeemer. His face forever to behold. If we live in the idea that Christ is coming, we anticipate His coming. We trust His judgment. We claim His promises, His blessings. But what about those who have not had a chance to hear gospel, even for the first time? Christless eternity. I pray that God will use us, as even as we anticipate Christ's coming, to use us mightily and allow Him, for those who are suffering, 
to endure patiently. For those who are not, to continue to make a difference for God in this life. Because we understand our whole life, our focal point is Christ coming again. Let us pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, that our whole focal, focal point in our life is the second coming of Christ, where he will make everything right. Where those people who despise your name, those people who abuse your name, everyone, young and old, men and women, will bow and every time confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we pray, Lord, for all of us as we encounter life with this fair share of suffering and pain, tribulations and trials. Help us, Father, to see life from this perspective that you're coming again. And we pray, Lord, that you help us also at the same time to remember that many people have still not heard of the first coming of Christ. So, Father, help us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.